In the final days of the legislative session, Democratic state lawmakers approved legislation designed to ensure that wrongfully convicted New Yorkers have a meaningful chance to achieve justice. To discuss the proposal, we're joined by its Senate sponsor, Brooklyn Democrat Zellner Myrie. Welcome back to the show, Senator. Always good to be with you, Dave. Well, it's our pleasure. So as it's currently set up, what are the shortcomings in the post-conviction relief framework that New York has now that you'd like to address with this legislation? Well, if I may, let me take us back to 2014 when our Court of Appeals decided a case called People versus Hamilton. And in that case, the court said that the claim of actual innocence was something that could be used in the post-conviction context. Uh, Prior to that, uh, we had in our laws many mechanisms for people who felt that they were wrongly incarcerated uh, to try and make the claim, but it had to be specific constitutional claims. There was no specific actual innocence claim. So the court said, you can do this if you are an applicant, uh, but that was what we like to call in the business a common law provision, which is to say just made by the courts, not in statute. Uh, So between 2014 and 2018, if you were incarcerated and you believed that you were innocent, you could file what is called a 440 claim. And on that claim say, I'm innocent. There's no other constitutional failing here. I should not be incarcerated. But in 2018, in People versus Tiger, the Court of Appeals changed direction and said, yeah, you can make an actual innocence claim, but only if you have not pled guilty. And on its face, that sounds reasonable, except that the doors of our criminal justice system rarely open beyond the plea stage. That is to say, 98% of cases are resolved by way of guilty plea. So what the courts suggested to us uh, was that only in 2% of the cases would you even have the option of making an actual innocence claim. And in the dissent, in that opinion, written by then Judge Rowan Wilson and now Chief Judge Rowan Wilson, he said that this doesn't make sense constitutionally, and that if we are to believe that people should never be incarcerated for something that they didn't do, then even if they pled guilty, they should be able to make the claim. The court is free to reject that claim, but they should at least have the mechanism to make it. Uh, and that's what the Challenging Wrongful Convictions Act aims to do give people the opportunity to make that claim before the court, even if they have pled guilty, give them the resources to do that, and then let the court decide whether they have a valid claim or not. Too many people are spending time incarcerated right now as we record this podcast who are innocent, who have no business being in prison, and this hopefully will give them the opportunity to make the claim so that they can be out. Well, what would be the mechanism for making that claim under this legislation? Do I simply say, I'm innocent, I'd like a second trial? So it's not quite that simple. So in the claim that you would file before the court, uh, the court would have to determine whether there is a colorable claim, whether there is a possibility that's not just a, a freestanding possibility, but with the weight of the evidence that this person is innocent. Uh, So what we have seen in other states, the state known uh, best for its liberal policies, Texas, they have this mechanism and there has been no floodgate issue. There has been no overwhelming of the system uh, because not uh, everyone is innocent. 
And if you are truly innocent, you will stop at nothing to prove that innocence, but we should be giving you the resources to do that. Another state uh, that has this um, in place, California, has not witnessed a floodgate issue of everyone trying uh, to get in. And New Jersey has a similar provision and has likewise not experienced a, a floodgate issue. And what we believe is that this actually makes the system more efficient. If you are incarcerated and you believe that you are wrongfully incarcerated, you are going to end up filing a bunch of claims just to get at that innocence. We're saying, let's not have you file a bunch of claims and clog up the court. Let's have you file one claim that says there is evidence to suggest that I am innocent. It is not bare minimum evidence. Uh, it has to be a colorable claim. And that is a determination uh, that remains with the court, the court does not lose any discretion in this process and will be the ultimate arbiter of whether or not that individual can vacate their judgment. Can you expand on that idea of a, a colorable claim, possibly using non-legalese? A, a colorable claim, and, and it is inherently discretionary, so there is not a hard and fast definition of what colorable means, uh, but what it, it, it is meant to say that it's not just a claim, and it is it is more likely than not uh, that there is a is a constitutional claim present. So uh, it's not just hey I didn't do it, but hey the witnesses that were called uh, to accuse me of doing this have recanted their statements, and or there has been new evidence discovered in the police file that says uh, actually this wasn't the person and we got the wrong guy. Uh, a colorable claim might look like new science that has developed since you were incarcerated um, uh, that puts the evidence that convicted you into a different light and things of that nature. Uh, you know, I don't want to be overly prescriptive because this is by definition very fact specific, but uh, it is meant that that provision in our statute or in the bill uh, is meant to be a gatekeeper of sorts, such that they're not just every claim in the books going forward, uh, but that there are reasonable uh, uh, claims that have some basis in evidence. And what would this mean for cases where the crime that someone was convicted of, that the charge no longer exists as the result of liberalization of our criminal justice system, especially in recent years? That would provide an avenue for that person to have their judgment vacated. Uh, and we, in prior iterations of this bill, had a stronger uh, provision uh, to that effect uh, to say if the law has changed, uh, then that automatically gives you uh, an ability to, to, to make the claim. Uh, but we have softened that a little bit, but still include whether there has been new science developed um, uh, as it relates to your case, whether the witness testimony uh, in your case, uh, on the science at least, um, uh, has now been discredited, or whether there has have, have been new advances in the law that make the crime that you were convicted of no longer a crime. And, and this, I, I would hope, would make sense to New Yorkers that people should not be incarcerated for things that are not crimes. So one of the areas where science has evolved to allow us to process evidence differently is with something like uh, blood uh, analysis and DNA analysis. If, let's say, DNA or blood wasn't analyzed initially in a case, but it was uh, determined that uh, 
we've still got some of this evidence stored properly and it's accessible, could I automatically be granted some sort of relief through this process that your legislation is envisioning? Or would, say, the DNA, the blood, what have you, need to be tested uh, first before we could get the ball rolling or anything? This is a really important question here. And I think what unites um, uh, people's thoughts around whether or not this is a good bill, um, particularly my, my friends in prosecutors' offices, one of the things that we have heard is that it is too logistically difficult for us to go back and dig up evidence from cases 10, 20, 30, and in some instances 40 years ago, uh, because some of these warehouses no longer have this evidence or some of the police reports uh, no longer exist. Uh, and so we have placed a, a provision in this bill after conversations with prosecutors' offices uh, to simply require a like best faith effort to get that evidence that that may be exculpatory for you that that may help prove your innocence uh, but there's nothing automatic about this process uh, it still requires a filing uh, and in an earlier iteration of that bill of our bill we wanted to provide counsel uh, for those individuals but we recognize that uh, that may present some fiscal challenges for us uh, but the hope is that together with a with a lawyer you are able to file the claim uh, and then ask for that discovery, uh, ask for that potential DNA or non-DNA evidence that may help uh, prove your innocence. It, it's noteworthy that the court uh, said, made specific reference to DNA evidence as the only thing that you could use uh, to say that you were innocent. Uh, and what this bill is doing and what was suggested in the dissent uh, by, by now Chief Judge Rowan Wilson uh, is that it should not be dependent on DNA evidence alone. In our legislative structure, we have many other things that can point to whether or not you were innocent, uh, and this is meant to give people the pathway to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, sometimes when I talk about this bill, people say, well, if you plead guilty, why on earth would you do that if you are innocent? And there are many instances where this happens. I think most notoriously was in the case of the exonerated five, one of whom, by the way, uh, just was elected to the city council uh, less than a month ago and who we stood with when we announced the introduction of this bill. Uh, there are many reasons why people plead guilty, uh, even though they are innocent. And we're trying to, uh, instead of on the back end, uh, but figure out, well, well why is that? And, and, and what should we be doing? At least give people the mechanism in this first instance to claim that innocence and then let the court determine whether that guilty plea was coerced or not. In terms of being able to access this mechanism in a meaningful way, is there a system of lawyers that potentially wrongfully convicted New Yorkers could rely on, or is this going to be contingent on each individual New Yorker's uh, ability to uh, obtain counsel so they can navigate this process? In an ideal world, Dave, we would have a stable of attorneys at the ready to help these individuals file these claims, do things the right way. In fact, we've seen in other jurisdictions, when people have lawyers, uh, they actually have seen a decline in the application process. 
because they can determine on that outset whether or not there's a real claim to be made. Uh, so my hope is that we get one day get to a place where everyone who wants to make this claim can be connected to a lawyer in order uh, to determine whether or not they should even be moving forward and using taxpayer resources to prove their innocence. Uh, but what currently stands uh, is a an unofficial loose network of lawyers who specialize in this type of work. Uh, there are organizations, of course, uh, dedicated to appellate work and to working with incarcerated individuals, but also members of the private bar uh, who have developed uh, a specialty uh, in this sense. And there are organizations that uh, aren't legal providers themselves, but just serve as liaisons uh, between those who are incarcerated and the council that might be able to help them. Uh, so I think that we will, in the beginning, uh, see see how, how many petitions are filed, see how many people take advantage of this. And then uh, we should keep a close eye on that and, and determine whether the state should be investing uh, in, in assigning some counsel. You know, if I step back for a second, if a wrong, if a person is incarcerated who did not commit the crime, the individual that did commit the crime remains free and a threat to public safety. In addition, we are spending upwards of $80,000 a year to incarcerate an individual who should not be there, uh, who should be out in the community, who should be doing whatever it is that they would have chosen to do in life, uh, but instead have become a tax on us, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, so I think this is one way for us to save money uh, and of course to do the right thing by wrongfully convicted individuals. And what about the other side of this equation when it comes to resources? Do prosecutors have the capacity to keep up with potentially uh, an influx of post-conviction uh, appeals that they might have to handle if this legislation became law? Well, you know, we have been allocating additional resources to prosecutors uh, for a number of years uh, in the past few budgets, recognizing that the changes to the legal system that we have passed and that we are proposing require them to do more work. Uh, I would note that there are already wrongful conviction units in many of the largest prosecutor offices in the state. And I think that's a recognition by those offices that there may have been instances in the past where people were overzealous in their prosecution or people cut corners. We know this to be true. In investigations have revealed uh, that there had been law enforcement individuals uh, who made it a pattern in practice to wrongfully convict individuals so that they could get uh, their numbers up. Uh, so uh, I think that the conversation is, is one that I am very open to having. Uh, I don't think that there is going to be the floodgate issue that many have been trying to warn about. Uh, but in the event that they felt overwhelmed by the applications and by the petitions, I think the legislature would be very much open to discussing giving them the resources they needed uh, to ensure that justice is being done. Well, finally, how do you judge the cost benefit of something like this? If this legislation becomes law and one additional person every year is able to have a wrongful conviction overturned, but at the expense of, say, millions of dollars. Is that worth it? Do you need to see 
a hundred convictions overturned to spend millions of dollars. How, how do you think of this, given the finite resources we have as a state? Well, in my mind, there is no value that you can assign to an innocent person not being incarcerated. Just think about this if it were you or your family member or a loved one. If they were innocent and were convicted of a crime and had to spend a week in prison, we'd be outraged. Well, what about two weeks? What about a month? What about a year? What about 20 years? We have New Yorkers that have spent decades in prison for crimes that they did not commit. Uh, I don't think a single innocent person should spend a single minute inside of a jail cell if they have not committed that crime. And I believe that the government is responsible for ensuring that that never happens. Is that going to cost money? Sure. Uh, but maybe, maybe the system will begin to course correct uh, and see that you shouldn't be overzealous in prosecution. You shouldn't coerce guilty pleas. You should invest the law enforcement resources you have to actually get the people responsible for the crimes. And hopefully, you know, at some point in the future, the number of wrongful convictions will subside because the system would have uh, corrected itself knowing that there is a back end mechanism to hold people accountable. So I think it is an upfront investment that is worth it ultimately because it's the right thing to do. Well, conversely, though, in terms of a real upfront investment, does it make sense to just spend more on those initial elements of a conviction, whether it is uh, assigned counsel, whether it is prosecutors, whether it is having uh, enough trial judges to to handle these cases and to take the time with them? I think it is worthy of an all-of-the-above approach. This is one portion of our criminal legal system that has a glaring loophole in it, but it's certainly not the only one. And uh, my role as a legislator, and I believe our role as the legislature, is to continue to look at the system as a whole, uh, but also to fix the weaker points in the system where we can evaluate what the effects of that solution uh, might be, uh, and then continue to, to, to course correct where necessary. And so I believe we got to take all of the above, uh, and I stand ready to do that along with uh, many of the impacted New Yorkers who are responsible for this coming to the fore in the first place. Well, we've been speaking with State Senator Zellner Myrie. He is a Brooklyn Democrat. Senator, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me, Dave. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.